Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you happen to be around the world. Welcome to the Groovy Podcast. My name is Ken Cousin. I'm podcasting from Marlboro, Connecticut, and I am joined by... Sergio Del Amo, podcasting from Guadalajara, Spain. How are you, Ken? Great. So the Guadalajara in Spain, not in Mexico. Presumably... Not in Mexico, exactly. Presumably the one in Mexico is named after the one in Spain, I'm guessing. You know. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I arbitrarily decided for no good reason that this is season six now, episode one. Decided to put in a new season because it's a new year and, you know, maybe we'll have more than two or three episodes this year. What do you think? Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, yeah. I like um, to start uh, new things in New Year's. So I yeah. guess it's a good thing to start a new season. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll see what we can do. Um, just as a reminder, uh, well, actually, we don't need to get into that. So we have the show notes as usual. And what I was going to remind you of is that you can always find the show notes for the Groovy podcast in a GitHub repository, which under the uh, organization Groovy Dash podcast, and the name of the repository itself is Groovy podcast. So there's a readme that we're going to try to maintain that has a link to the current episode show notes. Overall, this is considered episode 86. So if we can actually do, hey, you know, we're not that far from 100. And that's that would be a special one, wouldn't it? Yeah, we have to, to do something there. Yeah, I have no idea what. So we'll see. So we at any rate... 14 episodes to plan that. Yeah, which could take us until 2027 or something like that, right? Uh, for those who are interested in it, this is also Groundhog Day in the United States. I don't know if uh, do you celebrate Groundhog Day anywhere else in the world. I don't even know. I don't. Uh, I have a colleague of mine who lives in the UK uh, searching for that in Google. So I guess I don't know if they celebrate in the UK. Yeah. But here in Spain, it's not a thing at all. Well, it's not exactly a holiday even here. For most people, what it is, is a reminder that it's probably time to watch the Bill Murray movie again, which um, we're going to do. But I basically have to admit, I mostly have memorized. I'm not even sure why I bother. I mean, I, I can recite practically the whole movie. Uh, but still, I think it's been a couple of years since I've seen it. So I might as well watch it again. You know, but it's one rate, of your favorites, right? Pardon me? It is one of your favorite movies. Oh, yeah. At least I've, I've seen you quote it a bunch of times. <laughs> Way too often, I'm sure. Yes, way too often. Um, okay, the big event that I thought was uh, was a huge thing was the release of Groovy 4.0. Yeah, so absolutely. We've been waiting for that, and uh, Paul King announced the release on Twitter, as he normally does, and there's a link to the show notes on there. The, the thing that is going to surprise people, but this has been long- coming i mean this is really almost overdue was that they actually changed the maven coordinates for the groovy distribution i mean codehouse went away what a couple of years ago or something maybe even more yeah both as a as a site and as a coordinate in general so instead of groovy being under org.codehouse.groovy it's now under org.apache.groovy and while making that change that's also when they took the opportunity, I don't know if it was connected or not, to resolve all the potential Java platform module system issues, all the, the package related issues with uh, having different classes and different packages and running into Gradle warnings and things like that. So all of that is finally going to be or is resolved now. Uh, 
So no more warnings of that type in Groovy 4. Now, of course, that's, uh, I don't want to say cosmetic change because it is going to affect everybody, but it doesn't affect the functionality. I looked at some of that new functionality and it's, it's fascinating to see the various JVM languages kind of talking to each other and, you know, one adopts capability, so then another one brings it in. And Groovy's always been so far ahead of Java in general. Um, but this time they're bringing in some capabilities that Java has introduced. And it's kind of on the that whole design goal of Groovy of being, look, you can take Java code and rename it .Groovy and it'll probably run. <clears throat> yeah, so, I think that's really important. Um, it's really important to keep the pace with Java. Mm. And lately it's dif difficult because Java has uh, changed the pace a lot. Uh, so I think that's great. Um, you know, speaking of that, Java, when they switched to this six month release schedule, announced that they were going to have a long term support version every three years. So 11 was a long term support version, and then six, uh, 17 rather was the next one because it was six versions after that, one every six months for three years. And I know they put in a proposal. I don't know if it's been adopted yet, but there's a proposal now to switch to a two-year schedule for the long-term support versions. So that rather than the next long-term support version being 23, I guess it would be, now it's going to be, what, 21, I suppose. And the, the motivation, as I understand it, is that most companies were not upgrading any JVMs unless it was a long-term support version. And I know this frustrated Brian Getz, among other people. I mean, they can imagine. Yeah, I mean, uh, the idea of getting the, the capabilities in the marketplace is, a, is very good from the developer point of view, but I get it that most companies don't want to upgrade their environment. I mean, Brian Getz himself was saying, yeah, any individual developer, then every JVM is as good as every other JVM, but for production environments, those are the people who might want to wait for long-term support versions. Well, if they cut it down to two years, the question is, will companies upgrade every two years? What do you think? You think they're actually going to upgrade their JVM like that? So I think it depends on... So we have the same frustration here. And the other day, I... So on the one side, I understand you write open source code or for us, it's micro versions. And mm -hmm. you expect people to be micro three. And then you see that companies are still in micro one. Right. And, that, and that's that's bad in in many fronts because we are essentially not, not maintaining micro one aside from there is like a security vulnerability or things like that um so i think is this is a discussion that we have had i think in the past but i think people we as a developers or companies we have to try to keep pace and the log for yay thing i think it showed mm. all of us that we have to be ready to upgrade at any moment and that's the same for JDK versions. Um, I think for me, JDK 17 is going to be widely adopted in the moment the cloud vendors start to have it as a runtime. Ah. So I know, for example, that uh, AWS, for example, in Lambda, they still don't have JDK 17 as the default runtime. I think, for example, if you deploy to Elastic Beanstalk, mm -hmm. they don't have still JDK 17 for... Uh, so there is a version of Amazon Correto for... JDK 17, but there right. is no like the runtime, the official runtime there, right? So oh, I think so in the moment... You say so they I have a version that's 17, but it's not on the cloud? 
they have the Amazon correct, so the the official J Amazon maintained JDK. Mm -hmm. They do have a JDK 17, but if you go to deploy a Java application, they don't have the runtime available oh, to select. Okay. I didn't know that. To, so, or at least they didn't have the last time I checked. So I think it's one thing is then when the official Java release is there, and then when the cloud vendors adopt it, that's probably I guess it's gonna take six months mm. or, or I don't know, or maybe even a year. It's probably more six months. So I think maybe two years for me is maybe too aggressive, to be honest, well, because what the, the Stack Overflow surveys and the other surveys were suggesting was that last year is when Java 11 finally exceeded the number of Java 8 installs, but it was still roughly 50-50. And I still run into a lot of clients who are on 8 and are gradually moving up to 11. I don't know anybody on 17 yet. Now, of course, the, the deadline that I'm looking at, the one that I think is going to be an interesting impact on the community, is the Spring people have announced that Spring 6 and Spring Boot 3 will require JDK uh, 17. Yeah. Now, that's a bold move. And it'll remain to see whether they stick to it. Because what happens if the community goes, yeah, OK, we're just not going to adopt it? You know, I mean, will they be able to persuade people? I don't know. I think it will depend. So I think uh, so they are still going to I think they are going to still support the um the old branch of Spring Boot for JDK 11. So I think they, mm. uh, I'm putting words in their mouth, so maybe that's not the best thing to do. But I guess uh, what they want to do is if you want to create a new fresh application, use JDK 17. And that's what I will recommend anyone using MyCode as well to do. Mm. So if you want to create a new JDK, a new MyCode application, or, or I guess in, in next December, a new Spring Boot application, use JDK 17. So I guess their play is, for legacy applications, you will probably stay on the lower branch. I don't think you will. I mean, maybe it's, if, if your code base is really clean, you are able to uh, to basically update. But I guess the strategy is for fresh applications, use JDK 17. And, and that way they can do like a breaking change and, and leave legacy stuff that they don't want to support out. So I don't know. I, I guess it's probably it's a good idea. Um, it's an aggressive idea. Uh, but I guess it's uh, it's more like the same as us. Like if you want to use a, a create a new MyCode application, uh, we recommend you to use the the latest JDK that you can, uh, and that probably means you have to think where you are going to deploy this application. So if you are able to deploy to a runtime which allows you JDK 17, more power to you. Uh, my I unfortunately live in JDK 8 every day. Oof. Because we are still maintaining JDK 8. So I am, uh, I think Micronaut 4 will probably only support JDK 11 and 17 and long, long term releases. So I think we will drop support for JDK 8. So that's, uh, that's a day that we are all waiting for here. But um, I see, as you, I see many, many clients still in JDK 8. Well, so, the, the thing is, I mean, jumping from 8 to 11. I mean, 11 really isn't all that different from eight. I mean, from yeah. there's a lot of under the hood differences, but if you're just talking about the experience of coding in Java, other than maybe the the, the factory methods for collections, you know, list.of and set.of and things yeah. like that, those are nice. The local variable type inference is one of those features that is way less than meets the eye. You know, it just doesn't come up that much. It's not that big a deal. 
And most everything else is really smaller edge cases. I mean, when's the last time I needed a private method in an interface? You know, almost never. Whereas I got to say, going from 11 to 17, we get the nice switch statements, we get the records, we get yeah. the pattern matching, we get seal classes. I mean, suddenly it's a new language. And I actually got a chance to write an app in 17 and was very surprised at how much more pleasant the experience was. And I'm going to let that bring us back to Groovy here, because with Groovy 4, a lot of the additions to Groovy 4 are, for example, the switch expressions with the same syntax almost, oops, looks like I left out of parentheses. At any rate, the same syntax as the Java enhanced switch in that they are expressions now. You return a value, you use an arrow so there's no fall through. Uh, the only difference is they don't have to be exhaustive the way they do in Java. So now we've got the switch expressions. Now the groovy switch expressions or switch case situation was always a thousand percent nicer than Java's anyway. I mean, you could match on practically anything on just an arbitrary closure. I mean, really nice stuff, but it's good that they have the syntax now. They added in not just sealed classes and sealed interfaces, but something that a lot of groovy people don't think about, which is sealed traits as well. We have traits that can only be implemented by certain classes, interestingly enough, and I'm waiting to see an interesting use case for that. Uh, the, the other thing they added, again, this was not really necessary for Groovy, but to be friendly with Java, they added in records. I mean, Groovy pogos are everything records ever dreamed of being and more, and they work with all the parsers, but records are final and immutable and all that other stuff and might as well support the syntax. So it looked like the terminology they used in the release notes was native records was the term that they used, meaning that they really are much more like the, the Java records. Uh, other stuff in there, um, I guess the biggest thing that could potentially have an impact on people. Okay, how do you pronounce G-I-N-Q? How are you gonna pronounce it? I think I had Paul pronounce it as Jink. Jink? Because I'd like to say Jink seeing G-I as giraffe. Do you say GIF or GIF? I say GIF, I think. Do you? Uh, I keep going back and forth. I mean, wars have started over less, you know? Uh, so, I mean, we, I guess, suppose we could start one if we really wanted, but nah, more peaceful than that. I, I don't know whether to call it Jink. I was calling it Jink also. We'll see what happens. We'll see what Daniel calls it, right? Daniel's son is, uh, was heavily involved in the creation of it. Yeah, I guess he, he should name the baby, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, for those who are not aware, uh, Jink stands for Groovy Integrated Query Language. And the, there's a lot to it, but the basic concept is you can query things that aren't databases in a DSL that looks SQL-like. So it's you can write SQL queries on collections, for example. And while I'm not exactly sure what the use cases will be for that, the fact that I wasn't able to do that before means I probably don't think that way yet. And there are several interesting examples in the release notes. Yeah, so I have not used it myself uh, it's as well. It reminds me to, uh, to SQL as well. Mm. Um, I guess we are, so it depends. So this is like, a, when I first started using the Java Streams API, it was difficult because I was used to the Groovy 
right. a collection SDK. Sure. And now it's hard for me to go back because right. uh, <laughs> I am using the Steam API all the day. So sometimes it's, I, I use the Steam API when writing Ruby code as well. So I guess it's a matter of, as you say, if it's your use case, then you will feel comfortable. Well, it, uh, it's, it looks like SQL, but really it's more like JPQL, you know, it's a, or hibernate query language. It's an object-based query language. So you're referencing properties of objects inside your query over some massive collection. And that, I mean, if you've ever used, you know, hibernate or, um, is that, that's your ORM inside of Micronaut, right? That's the one you use primarily, you use GORM or do you use something else or I don't remember. Uh, so you can use, so my favorite persistent solution in Micronaut is Micronaut JDBC. And you can write, as you were saying, you can write, you can annotate a method with in an interface with add query. Mm, and you right, can write right. like a SQL statement as, uh, or similar to JPAQL. Uh, as you were uh, saying, uh, you can use GORM as well, and you can use JPA if you want. Yeah. So if I you will. have familiarity with those, I think uh, Jink will be attractive. I mean, I I kept getting confused in HQL, you know, getting the left join, you know, all that stuff, getting that right, a left join fetch, et cetera, lazy versus eager. And we don't have to deal with a lot of that stuff in these queries, but it's a it's a very interesting capability and I'm not aware of it anywhere else. Uh, what else is in there? The built-in macro methods, that's not really gonna affect me because I don't generally write DSLs. Although I yeah. imagine some people care about that. I love the idea of having groovy contracts available in there because when I first learned OO back in the mid to late nineties, you know, when Java was shiny and new, I learned from someone who cared about programming by contract. You know, they, they liked having pre and post conditions on methods and invariants on classes. And, you know, Java has never really had that, even though they have libraries for it. Um, JUnit 5 introduced assumptions, which are basically pre, uh, precondition checks. So that you don't just use exceptions for preconditions. And it's like, oh, okay, so there's something. But Groovy Contracts lets you put pre and post conditions and invariants on classes. And I don't know if it'll appeal to anybody outside of me and other people who happen to like that stuff, but that's a really neat option there. I have used assumptions. So I think something, maybe in Spock, we can use something like that. So uh, right. I think the assumptions in JUnit are attractive to, to essentially only run this test is... Yeah, kind I of the app requires in a spoke, but when you need like something that you need to program a little bit more. Um, so maybe for something like that. Um, I had an adventure with Spock and Groovy 4, but I'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, just to finish up a couple of things there. They, I couldn't believe this. I'm still like just chuckling at this. They added a Java shell. <laughs> I mean, they have the Groovy shell and the Groovy shell has been there for, you know, ever basically decades. And they added a Java shell for the Java people to run Java code inside of Groovy, which is like, boy, talk about bending over backwards to make life easy for them. It's like, okay, that's very nice of you. I hope it was easy to do, you know? <laughs> uh, but I thought that was kind of entertaining. And then in terms of syntax, didn't look like a lot of things changed in syntax, but the enhanced ranges, you've always been able to go like three dot dot 10 and three dot dot less than 10 to make it open-ended on the upper end. Well, now you can use the less than side on the lower end too. So three dot less than dot dot less than 15 is four to 14. 
you know? Yeah, it's and like, I think it's more clear, right? So it's easier to understand. You don't have to remember the syntax because every language is a different syntax. So I think if you read that in code, it will be clear for you. That yeah, it's and it's funny because IntelliJ puts up hints that look like that anyway, you know? <laughs> so I think that was very clever. Um, I'll give you my little groovy story real quick is that I have a, a very highly dated repository of Groovy code that I called Intro Groovy that for years I used for my introduction to Groovy training classes. So mm -hmm. it didn't have a lot of exercises, but it had tons of sample code. And most of it originated in the Intro Groovy section of my Making Java Groovy book, which came out in 2013. <laughs> so next year will be 10 years on that. By the way, it made $35 last quarter. Hey, you know, lunch was on Lisa. Yeah, lunch was on version me, with Groovy for. <laughs> <laughs> so, at any rate, I take that repository, and every time a new version of Groovy comes out, I upgrade the Groovy version in there. And this was, I figured, okay, I know I'm taking chances here, but I upgraded to Groovy 4. And not only did I do that, uh, I went inside the Gradle build file and not just changed the coordinates because I had to change the coordinates. I even went to their bomb approach, right? The build of materials approach so that I did the platform import. So uh, I did the other thing that I was supposed to have done with three and never got around to, which was stop including Groovy all and just put in the specific modules I was using. So by adding in the bomb, I could put in the specific modules without having to repeat the version number and everything. Right. And I had to fix a bunch of problems that mostly had to do with adding imports on classes that change packages, you know, just to, to resolve the JPMS stuff, like the, the XML slurper and the parser are now under yeah. XML instead of util and whatever, and the ant builder, which I was using, but that was all fine. The problem I had, of course, was Spock because it, you know, it's funny when I first got into Groovy, I learned that there was a choice on every API that was based on Groovy. They can either bundle in a version of Groovy with the project, which is what Grails does and what Gradle does, or they could compile their API for each version of Groovy that they wanted to work with which is what Spock always did. So the Spock version number, like the one that was the most common now was 2.0 dash groovy 3.0, that sort of thing, or 2.1 M2 dash groovy 3.0. And therefore, of course, they don't have a compiled version of Spock for uh, groovy 4. I mean, it's asking a lot. I mean, I was trying to implement this thing before working out apache.groovy4 made it through maven central you know what i mean <laughs> i was really jumping the gun here so i was trying to get it to work and i kept getting failures because i didn't know how to set the property and i wound up referencing an old blog post by good old let's see if i get the name right uh marcin uh Zayachowski. I imagine is how you'd pronounce it or close. He was once on the Groovy podcast. So you'd think I'd remember, you know? Yeah, so I, he has, I, he's a, I think he's a Spock contributor. He's really good. Yes. Uh, he has a blog, uh, also really nice. He's, the blog is, uh, I always search for a JUnit versus Spock and his blog post always come there. JUnit 5, because I sometimes I have to write a, a lot of material in both ah. JUnit 5 and, and Spock. So sometimes I am always, I always have a hard time remember how to do like a section assertion in, right. in JUnit 5. Uh, so his blog is uh, blog.solidsoft.pl from Poland. Right. 
and he has if you are using spoke his blog is fantastic Oh, he's got the, the definitive comparison, right, between JUnit yeah. and Spock. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, there's a system property in Spock. Because when I complained that I didn't know what to do about Spock stuff, no less a person than Paul King replied, you know, I did this on Twitter and said, oh, no, it runs. You just have to set this flag. And this is by far the most awesome flag I have ever seen. Right. The flag the is. The name is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The name is perfect. The name is, the name is Spock dot. I know what I'm doing dot disable groovy version check. Seriously, I know what I'm yeah. doing dot disable groovy version check. And you set that property to true and it tells Spock don't check the version. Now, unfortunately, it didn't work because I tried to set the system property, the normal Gradle way of setting the system property. And of course, Marcin has an entire blog post on how to fix this and where to set it. And I followed his advice and it worked like a charm. Now, I also was executing some scripts using a Groovy shell because the scripts I used for demo purposes just had a bunch of assert messages in them. So by executing the script, I'm checking all the tests. And it turns out there was another place you had to set that same flag in order to make that forked JVM work or whatever. And darn if it didn't work. And I, I put a little link in it, but if you just take a look at my intro Groovy repository, I mean, I suppose I should write a blog post on it, but all the code is there. It worked like a charm. Yeah. Uh, we had also like uh, in our team, Cedric uh, Champo, who tried Groovy 4 with a fresh micronet application. Uh, so essentially like writing a micronet application with Groovy 4. Ah. And it worked fine. The only thing he had to do is, um, so of course, Cedric generated with Gradle. Uh, and he had like conflicting Groovy versions between uh, Groovy 4 and the version, mm. uh, the transitive dependency. Uh, and there is like in Gradle, you can say, I will probably have to write a blog post about that, but you can select, you can tell with this configuration all block, you can tell select the highest version. Mm. So you can tell Gradle to use the highest version of Groovy. That should be the uh, default though, right? I mean, Gradle normally resolves any conflict with the highest version number. I don't know exactly, but it seems like an easy fix and apparently it works fine. Uh, so we still have to, I guess, uh, MyCode 4 will uh, will ship with Groovy 4. Mm. Um, so we will probably start, try to use it soon. Probably yeah. when, when, sorry, uh, when the next, uh, the official Spock version supports Groovy 4. Which shouldn't I be gave... too long, right? They've got to be no, working on it. I'm sure they are. Uh, yeah. Over the holidays, I got one of those cool silicon, you know, Mac silicon chips, the Mac based. I want to say uh, M1 Max, Max, but I mean MAX and MACS, you know, a MacBook Pro. Um, and what it turns out is that when you install Java on that, the JVM versions that are that are optimized for the M1 chip are 17. So I've been using 17 way more than I did before. Um, that led me to my first good old linkage error <laughs> that I wound up having in years. I'm like, oh goodness, I remember all those days. But I'm running everything with Groovy 4 and Java 17 when I can, and everything's so, so far so good. Which reminds me, by the way, uh, the announcement that uh, good old Groovy Eclipse you know, still hanging in there after all these years 
was just recently updated to 4.4.0. And by golly, the whole point is to support uh, Groovy 4 and Java 17. And they even have uh, pictures of using the record type, a Groovy record, and and all these other fixes. So hey, good for good for them. I I, I only use Eclipse when my clients do, <laughs> you know. But I'm glad that's still an active project. Yep. Yeah. They they really follow the pace uh, mm. of Groovy. So that's uh, amazing. Yeah. Now regarding. Uh, grails because we'll get to micronaut in a moment and that's when you're going to wind up talking about everything you know you, mm -hmm. you'll i assume you'll cover all that uh the grails has not had fundamental changes since the five version came out they've had more like bug fixes and and dependency upgrades you know they're working with later versions of spring and hibernate and all the other dependencies and that's great uh 5.1.2 came out relatively recently i see that it's like two weeks ago i guess and if you look at the release notes almost all of it is just updating dependencies and some bug fixes the uh, biggest yeah the biggest changes uh so punit the uh, greatest development lead he's working on up, uh, upgrading i think he already released um uh, grace spring security core plugin 500 rc1 mm -hmm. uh, spring which, security yeah updates the spin security to 561 so that was uh, one of the biggest thing that we had to do so if you are using grace you probably are using grace spin security core so uh, try try that uh, rc1 and let us know if you find anything um i am teaching uh, and sorry for the plug i am teaching oh. a Grails security training in two weeks oh really so i I will be, yeah, I'm teaching a great security training the week of the 14th of February. Um, I, I will try to include a link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, uh, we I need to add that. that that's a, is that an OCI thing again? Is that? Yeah, uh, yeah it's, a, it's a great foundation. Uh, right, training. right. Um, so we have moved all the training to the foundations. Um, but yeah, I will be teaching a, a great security training and a micronote uh, using micronote from Grails training uh, the same week, uh, two days. The, the security one and today's the grace and micro one uh, so i guess i will spend a lot of time next week in the security grace plugin to prepare I, for the training and my see condolences if I, need, <laughs> I, if I need to update anything um that's really fine i i i, I mean i have teach the grace security training in the past so i think i more or less i should know the pitfalls <laughs> if i find any well no i don't mean that i mean Spring security is the market leader and it is incredibly powerful and uh, it's reasonably intuitive. I find security stuff in general mind numbing. You know, it's it's all edge cases and how do we handle this, that and the other. And it gets very dry and very boring and I don't really enjoy it now. OK, that's me. That's not I don't blame the plug in. I don't blame the, the API. <clears throat> so if you're working with that, well, I'm, I'm glad somebody's doing it because obviously it's the, it's probably the most used security solution in the Java ecosystem, spring security. And to make sure that Grails works with that, that's, that's a minimum requirement of people adopting Grails. You know, they all want that. So yeah. I'm glad somebody's doing it, but there's a reason that one of the training classes I don't teach is spring security because, <laughs> oh my goodness, I, I drive me up a wall. Um, yeah, I've been involved in micro security a lot as well. Mm. Uh, so 
I am a bit of the opposite. I kind of enjoy. Uh, oh, I agree good. with you. Sometimes security is a bit uh, tricky. Um, so because yeah, in the moment you there is really a rabbit hole there that you can go oh. <laughs> really deep uh, and lose yourself there inside. But um, yeah, that's uh, one of the areas that I am focused normally uh, in microsecurity. So um, yeah, if you are uh, using Grace Five and or you are using Rails and you're interested in security, those training events are upcoming. And if you are waiting for any Rails security plugins updates, I guess I will try to help Punit and, and bring them uh, through the finish line next week. I will definitely and have to add the training to the... To the uh, I will, I will create a, a PR. Um, so those are the big news in Rails. Um, so there is, uh, Punit is doing a big uh, work on, on, on the core plugins. Uh, and I think next he's going to move to improving the Grace CLI. Oh, And the command line interface. Uh, yeah, right. That's always uh, very nice. And I, I'm glad Punit is now feeling better and everything and... and is active again because he that he was ill for a while that really laid him up with the, with the yeah. stuff and hopefully as the pandemic let's hope things start winding down fairly soon of course the big stuff that came out other than the groovy stuff was micronaut and was it somebody on twitter was it you or somebody else saying that this micronaut 3.3.0 release was really enormous it was a really big one not just for the serialization module and the email module but just in general it's a big deal yeah uh, so what i said is that for me this thing and this is true that we have been doing this lately that's uh, the minor releases they are where the good things come and uh, because i typically they are only like christmas presents <laughs> that you can use uh, and the major releases typically for us involve uh, deleting all the things that we have deprecated mm. through the year um, use the opportunity also to like jump major versions so jump from Groovy 3 to Groovy 4 and, and maybe deprecate a JDK but in terms of new feature the minor releases is when it happens and Grails uh, Micro 3.3.0 was probably the biggest uh, minor release that we have had yet um, serialization module I think is a big deal I think that will uh, help us do many uh, features. Uh, for example, we are bringing MongoDB support to micro data, uh, and that's built on top of uh, micro serialization. And also the AOT module that we discussed in the, the latest episode of the Groovy podcast uh, with the build time optimizations. Uh, that's um, also now as part of the BOM in Micronaut uh, 3.3.0. And I work a lot in the email module, which uh, I like a lot. And the micro email module is one module that you can use in your Grace application, for example. Mm. That's a module that you can use uh, everything but the templating solution. Mm. But with Grace, you could use GSPs, uh, no problem. So if you want to use, uh, to send emails from your Grace applications and for whatever reason, the current mail plugin, or uh, there is, for example, Agora has a, an Amazon simple email service mail plugin as well for Grace. So if you want to try the micro email, that's available. Uh, we support um, Mailjet, SendGrid, Postmark, and Amazon simple email service, and the good friend Java Mail. So if you want to send emails from your Gmail account, and you can do that. And get banned so fast, but yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it gets done so fast. We are using Gmail to test it. So we are actually sending emails to a Gmail account and uh, signing the Gmail account and checking that the email is there. And we support attachments as well. So if you need to send a report with your Excel file, uh, we support that. Um, we support ours in Micron 3. One feature that, for example, we didn't have and I, would, I, I use today for an integration that we are working on uh, this accessor style. So one thing that we are seeing is that, um, so in Micron, for example, we assume that Pollos will have setters and getters, right? With the getter starting with, I don't know, get name, right? Okay. And what we have seen is that many people, uh, they may write instead of get name, they will have a, a method called name. Yeah, that's how Java records work, which is yeah. driving those serializers crazy, right? Yeah, exactly. So what we have done is we have a new annotation called accessor style ah. where you can put at the top of your class and you can essentially, by default, the prefix we assume is setter, is set, mm -hmm. and the get prefix is get, but you can change that. So that that works really well. I, I use it today uh, because I, I found exactly that use case where getters were actually didn't have the get prefix. Um, and yeah, there are a bunch of new other features. Um, so well, let me ask you about that, that serialization module. Now, first, you, yep. you had a Micronaut podcast with Graham Roche, right? Specifically exactly. about that. So Graham was involved in that side of it too, or he just was interested? Yeah, yeah. No, no, Graham, uh, I don't know if he did most of the coding. I think he did most of the coding himself. Oh, wow. Um, so it's probably Graham, Jonas, uh, Dennis. Uh, so a bunch of people uh, contributed heavily to that module, but Graham was probably the lead mm. contributor to that module. Now, when you um, say serialization, is it specifically for JSON data or is it also XML and other platform, uh, other MIME types or what have you? It's not only for JSON data, uh, but uh, what we have right now is support for... You can use like um, JSONP, what is the other one? Mm. So mm. we have a bunch. Um, so essentially the story here is um, Micro used Jackson from the beginning, right? Um, Jackson is a, a really powerful and really flexible. Yeah, that's the one Spring uses. And great library, which is modularized, right? So you have like the Jackson annotations, right? right. Uh, the Jackson core, and then they have the Jackson data bind, which is the biggest part. Ah. So that's the part that we allow you to replace. So you can still work with your Jackson annotations. You can use a JSON property, a JSON value. You can use the same annotation right. that you are used to. Sure. You don't need to change that. But uh, under the hood, what we have is, uh, uh, what we have done is with Jackson, you can serialize any type, right? Sure. Which is sometimes a security vector, especially in Java. So serialization is probably always the... 50% of the vulnerabilities are serialization related to So one of the good things of, of uh, micro serialization is that you have to explicitly whitelist that you want a class to be serializable or deserializable oh. or both. And for that, we have an annotation. So the way, or you can, if the class is not under your control, we have another annotation called share the import. For example, I'm working on providing serialization support using this module for the AWS events classes, which are classes that the AWS people write. We don't write them. So you can, we have a, an annotation called uh, serve the import for serve the is for serialization, deserialization. I'm, I'm sorry. Could you, what's the name of the annotation again? It's uh, S-E 
C-E-R-D-E import. Serialization? Cert for serialization and deserialization. So that's the deserialization. Yeah, exactly. So we support both. And you can say like, if for example, you have a controller which gives a pojo. Right. And that's the only place this pojo is used. You can say that this pojo is only deserializable. Oh, oh, oh. It cannot be serialized into JSON. Okay. But it can be deserialized from JSON to Java. I mean, I, I got to ask because this has come up in the Java world with records because records combine two things that those serializers, the parsers, were not expecting. One is that records don't have default constructors. And some of those parsers expect default constructors. And the other thing is that records are immutable. So there's no setter methods either. Oh, and I guess the third thing is, is they don't follow the naming convention. There's no get and set method. Well, there's no setters at all, but the getter method is the name of the property. And again, the you know, I, I try experimenting because you think records are perfect as classes to map to JSON structures. And mm -hmm. the only API I know of, the only Java library that seems to deserialize properly to records is Jackson, fortunately. And it's because it came up uh, six months before Java 16 came out and they went, oh yeah, sure, let's build it in. And they did, but Moshi doesn't do it and uh, JSON doesn't do it. Now, the other issue that came up, and I suppose the over-under is going to be whatever amount of time has gone by, is Kotlin as well. And the issue with Kotlin with JSON had to do with um, default values on attributes and nullable attributes as well. Does it correctly serialize or deserialize nulls? And does it realize a null value, or not a null value, pardon me, a default value? Does it, does it find them? Does it set them? I mean, even Jackson goes, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm just going to set a value to whatever because I don't know what the default is. And that's why the Kotlin people built their own serialization API, which requires that at serialization annotation, like what you were talking about. And yeah. I don't know what they do about classes they don't own. You know, so how is Micronaut dealing with this environment? Because Groovy's more than happy to set default so, values and Bojos. We support we support uh, Java records uh, for serialization uh, and serialization, <laughs> no problem. Uh, and we support also default values. Uh, why so, does why doesn't everybody use Groovy? I tell you, I mean. It just makes life so much easier. I am starting to see clues, by the way, that some people are starting to rediscover it. Some people are starting to go, wait a minute, all this stuff we want, it's already there, you know? Any rate, so it, it's got all that stuff in it. Great, that's phenomenal. Is it yeah, usable so, outside of Micronaut or is it part of Micronaut? So Micronaut, you can use many parts of Micronaut outside of Micronaut. Uh, so for example, the... So serialization is built on top of introspection. And, oh, okay. and that replaces essentially the Java API to, to introspect a class, to essentially get the name of the properties of a class without using reflection. Mm, so it's like there are layers on top of it. Um, I think the serialization, I don't know if you, you probably don't even need to start the application context, but to be honest with you, I have not tried that. Mm, yeah. So, um, it depends. So many of parts of Micronaut you can use. Um, Many, many parts require an application well, me, context to be started. It depends. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer yeah. to that. Let's just summarize so we can move on to other stuff. I mean, it looks like the big stuff in Micronaut 3.3, at least what I could see, 
was the, the new serialization module, the, the new email module, which you talked about, uh, and the fact that it now uses the latest version of Graal VM so that yeah. if you're building a function as a service or whatever, you can compile it down using the native compiler. And uh, that tends to get people very excited. You know, they, they, yeah. they love the idea. What, what was that? Somebody posted seven millisecond startup time or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, GraalVM, we support the latest GraalVM, which is yeah. 22, I think, 2 already. That's what, the, uh, that was, so, what was in the release notes, 22.0.0, yeah. So, so if you want to use GraalVM, I would say check out Micronaut because the GraalVM folks are working elbow to elbow with the uh, Micronaut Oracle uh, yeah. team. So, yeah, we play really nice. It's like... Um, a match made in heaven. Yeah. So check it out. Um, and we keep improving also the plugins. Right. So the build plugins uh, and serialization also impacts in GraalVM native images. It will allow you to have smaller native images. So our the micro serialization is uh, the footprint of that jar file is smaller than the Jackson databank, for example. Oh, wow. So it, it will allow you to have like a smaller uh, native images and I guess also like a smaller native image generation, uh, so or faster native image generation, if you want. My goodness. Um, so yeah, check it out. Um, those are the big things. Also, Micronaut AOT, which is, we can say Micronaut AOT is part of this minor release as yeah, well. Yeah, that's kind of an enabling technology, right? It's, it's underlying all these others. This is kind of, Micronaut AOT is build-time optimizations. I would like to think say about it, again, it that please. way. Build the time optimization. Oh, build time so optimization. Got it. Got it. So that that's kind of it's not like kind of things for development productivity, but kind of mm. like to put in the pipeline before you generate the artifact that you are gonna right. deploy to production. Uh, and we have also in incubating, uh, we have support for uh, I think it's Tamil, Tamil configuration files. I saw that. I've never used that. Uh, what is that used for? So it's like kind of uh, similar to Jamel, but uh, with less uh, spacing issues, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay. So I, I, I have not used it myself. It looks okay. similar to Jamel. It's like less nesting. You can create like kind of grouping. Um, so if, if Jamel is really not your cup of tea and you don't want to use... Um, so in my code, we support also properties files. And, and if you are using Groovy, we support also Groovy files. Okay. Um, but if you, for whatever reason, YAML is not your thing, uh, check the Tamil. The actually Groovy 4 also supports Tamil parsing, I think. Right. I did see that as well. And I didn't include it because yeah. I didn't, I'm like, I don't even know what this means. Although that's my own, you know, lack of knowledge there. Uh, very good. Um, just to summarize, by the way, we mentioned the blog post by Marcin. Uh, again, I'm going to try to say Zayachowski, something like that. Um, but there's a, there's another blog post that involved Micronaut as well. The, the one by Zach Siegel called using Micronaut data, JDBC, R2DBC. So the reactive relational test containers and flyway with multiple schemas. And I'm like, wow, talk about your buzzword bingo right there. I mean, that's the <laughs> guaranteed to get accepted by every conference in the world, I suppose. Uh, I have, by the way, I've been playing with test containers lately and I think that's amazing. I, I just, I really like test container, although it is slower for me because you're you're playing with a Docker container. But 
it's great that it's using it and the flyway for the evolution. Did you look at any of that stuff? I mean, it had Micronaut data in it, et cetera. Yeah. So um, in Micronaut Live, for example, I use, uh, and sorry again for another plug. Uh, so oh. Tuesday, Thursday, we do like, I am streaming in Twitch uh, under twitch.tv slash mm, right. FW, and we are building a, an application and we are using test containers, uh, Postgres, uh, Flyway, and JDBC as well, Microdata JDBC, not uh, R2DBC, but uh, Microdata JDBC. And the way I use test containers is um, I only start the container in the test where I need them. And that means that, and I only start a container once right. for all the tests. So I, I kind of keep like, so you know that in test container has a feature where you can essentially add like a kind of a magic JDBC URL and they will start a test container for you. That, the problem with that is that for every test, uh, it will start the container. Uh, no, so sorry, the way that, that again, so what, what's the magic capability that it has? So in micro data and almost in any application, uh, you, for accessing persistence, you have to configure a JDBC URL, right? Right, right. And this, the JDBC URL to connect to your database. And the test so containers in, one provides one. So like in spring tests, you have to have a bean that pulls out the, the generated URL and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah, so the problem with that approach is that uh, if, for example, I am testing a controller where I, I am not testing persistence, right? if my application sees that I have a database, it will try to, to, to instantiate the container for me, right? Uh, so that is what you described. This, is, this can be a slow, uh, not a slow, it's, it can be like unnecessary oh, because okay. You, okay. I'm not testing persistence, right? Mm -hmm. So the approach that I do is I only start the test container for the test that I need it. Right. And what that means is that the applications start, the tests are really fast. So I will include, I will include, I will include a link in the show notes to the sample application right? because it's public and people can see the approach that we are we, using. We have a link to the Twitch channel, but I don't know that we have links to any of the recordings that you've made from that. Yeah, I, I, I will create PRs for those. Um, I actually did a recording where I essentially went from using the JDBC URL, the special test container JDBC URL to this different approach. And my test went from, I think, like from four minutes to one minute and a half. Ooh, or something like that. Okay. Because okay, I like that. essentially it was like uh, not wasting any time. Good. Test container is great. So test container is. And of uh, course, now they have uh, Atomic Jar. They got the company behind it. And they're going to start doing it in the cloud. I, I haven't registered for that yet, but the people involved are very nice people and yeah. very helpful. I had a problem with test containers getting it to run an init script on a MySQL database and the, the mechanisms I found online, none of those were working. And they had me join their uh, Slack channel and showed them a project and they, within 10 minutes had fixed it. And it's like, oh, okay, great. You know, so very friendly. Uh, there's a blog post, by the way, also uh, by Cedric Champo, our old friend who mm -hmm. left uh, Gradle a number of years ago and went to Oracle. He's where he's working with Graham. So, his was called uh, Understanding Gradle Plugins, the Provider API. So he was discussing how to write Gradle plugins. And I went through part of it. I didn't get through the whole thing. I don't write too many plugins for Gradle. I still find a lot of hoops there. And I don't have a use case where I need to that often. But it did want to add in the, the uh, blog post, you know, and, and suggest that if you are interested in that, he's very active in that area. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I have a plugin who which is not compatible with GL7, so I have to update <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, okay. And and Cedric is one of your he is kind of your one of your kind in terms of writing. He writes really, really long blog posts. Oh, jeez. So, <laughs> so it's like uh, anytime he, Cedric wrote blog posts are yeah. like make a cup of coffee and, and sit. Uh, yeah, I, I do it with newsletters more than blog posts, yeah. but yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I put up a link to the, you know, the Java Champions Conference, online conference was, uh, I guess, a week or so ago. And there was uh, four days of talks by people who were Java champions. And the one that I put in there was the my functional programming in Java Groovy and Kotlin talk. And, and the nice thing about that is they all got recorded directly to YouTube. So you could check out the entire playlist or just one of any number of them. Uh, that was the only one I knew of that actually used Groovy, but I did make sure to do that. And there were, in fact, cat pictures. So <laughs> that's that's always important. Uh, Graham, back in December, I think it was, did a, a presentation. Graham Roche did one called What's New in Micronaut 3 at JCon, And I don't remember where I saw it, but he posted the video as well. So wanted to add that for people. I, I still have Micronaut. It's one of those things where I got to get beyond the hello world stage. I got to actually go dig in and I just haven't found the, the time and the, and the uh, strong motivation, the, the use case to force me to do it. You have to find a pet project. Yeah, exactly. I need a project. Now, by the way, I didn't include it in the show notes, but uh, there was a, an article in, I think it's like the Java magazine for this month called, and the title of this article was use Python and R in your Java applications with Grawl VM. Because of course the feature that, the feature that everybody cares about with Grawl is the native image compiler. But the feature that Oracle cares about is that it's cross language. It's like the CLR yeah. that way. And the reason I mention it is because it wasn't just Python and R, it was and Micronaut. That's where they, they got their job apart from Micronaut and it didn't quite rise to the level of, oh, we should put this in the show notes, but I thought I'd mention it anyway, in case you didn't happen to see it. So that was in a, a recent Java magazine. Um, uh, going on to something slightly different, we decided to add a section just because we, we know it, it, we're not a huge community, but we're an active one. And a lot of people tend to know a lot of other people and it just seemed like fun to basically put a people in transition section in the show notes. Uh, most of those are people going to different jobs. And we'll get to that. One thing I do want to mention right away, though, is on the Java champions list, the issue came up of awarding uh, Stefan Maldini uh, a posthumous Java champion recognition. And I can honestly say that sailed through without any any hesitation whatsoever. So that has been announced and there was a, something given to his family and, and all of that. So we're really glad about that. Uh, but other stuff, I mean, I, I missed it at first, but uh, Tim Yates, who's, Tim Yates is the guy I go to when I need anything that's hardcore coding, you know, the algorithms and the other stuff. It just, Tim Yates is one of those humble geniuses that the Groovy community tends to attract, you know? like Graham, like Paul King, you know. And at any rate, uh, Tim has moved from Gradle to Micronaut at OCI. He works on Micronaut yeah, at OCI with you, right? Yeah, he's working with me. Uh, he's really, really good. 
yeah. and he's contributing from the gecko a lot um, was uh, working with him today on the microcellular module and he has contributed for example a feature in Micron 3 uh, which uh, now I don't remember exactly how we are naming the feature but let me one second but yeah, uh, team is uh, a great addition to the micro uh, team oh. here at Object Computing. Yeah, he's um, one of those guys where I just say, well, whatever you want to work on, I'm sure it's going to be good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so at any rate, he did. Now, what got announced, um, I think it was last week, is our good friend, um, I suppose I should let you pronounce it with the Spanish pronunciation, uh, Ivan Lopez. Ivan Lopez, yeah. Ivan Lopez, right, is uh, Ilopmar, is the Twitter handle, is joining the team at VMware. I mean, uh, isn't that interesting? He's joined the group over there, along with a friend of mine, Dan Vega. Dan Vega did a lot of work on some Groovy training. He built some of the online video courses that were particularly popular. I forget which platform, might've been Pluralsight uh, and, and maybe a couple others. But uh, he too has joined, Dan Vega joined VMware as a, a dev advocate, I think. I'm not sure what uh, Ivan is doing. Do you know what his new job will be? I think he's going to work on product. Uh, so in a product that VMware uh, has. Uh, so I don't think he's working on open source right now. Uh, but yeah, a uh, uh, pity, to be honest. Just a wanted to make sure, though, that, that people knew because another really good guy and it's nice to keep track. Yeah, um, hopefully he comes back to Micron soon enough. Uh, yeah, right. We'll <laughs> that would be a good idea. Um, we didn't mention it. Tim Yates has also, as one of his accomplishments, that he's just got a staggeringly high rating on Stack Overflow for Groovy-related questions, among others. Well, there was a tweet about uh, Christoph Frick, who I don't know personally, apparently achieved the gold badge on Stack Overflow for Groovy questions as well. Uh, do, you, do you do much? Do you answer Stack Overflow questions at all? Do you do that at all? I don't. Uh, I have a high reputation in Stack Overflow because I joined the Stack Overflow when it was beta. Ah. Uh, and it was amazing. For me, Stack Overflow is one of these things, so especially for me because I am uh, in the part of Spain where I am. It's not like here there is a huge development community. Right. Uh, so I remember because um, for those who don't know the history about the Stack Overflow is Joel Spolsky and, and the guy right. behind Coding Horror uh, I, I forget his name, sorry, uh, which they both had huge audiences. Right. And they combined and they jumped. They released this question and answer website, which now we take for granted. Right, right. But, be, but before then, there was nothing like it, right? And it was amazing because you enter Stack Overflow, you wrote a question, and in, I don't know, half an hour, an hour, right. a guy miles away from you will answer the question. Uh -huh. um, for me, it was incredible and i joined in the beginning and the algorithm in stack overflow is a bit um i don't know if it's incorrect or what but it's true that once you have questions that get about it just without touching stack overflow you are keep earning points and, and badges uh, and things so right. i did i have asked more questions than answered yeah so i was too. kind of the person asking questions Mm -hmm. And if you ask questions, you get rewards as well, um, because they basically value that you essentially about the answer that was helpful to you, and you accept the answer and things like that. So I, I am not as active as I should be in the Stack Overflow. That's probably one area that I have to pick up um, 
in my code as part of the advocacy role. But, but yeah, um, I, I know many people, uh, they joke about the uh, Stack Overflow, like not being good for programming. I think Stack Overflow is awesome for programming. Oh, I think yeah. it was no, I, incredible. The, the thing about Stack Overflow for me is that the questions that are easy get answered so fast that I'd never get in there in time for that. I mean, people yeah. grab those points right away. And the questions that are hard, it's like, I go, I, I got stuff to do. You know, I don't want to take all my time spending it there. But as a resource, it's phenomenal. And of course, my, my one Stack Overflow joke that I've always been telling for years, you know, uh, that occasionally Stack Overflow goes down for one reason or another. And the people who maintain Stack Overflow have the hardest job in all of IT because they have to restore the site without referencing Stack Overflow. Without a Stack Overflow, exactly. Anyway, hopefully they have a staging server somewhere. Yes. <laughs> well, hopefully there's a there's a, uh, a backup somewhere. Yeah. Um, any rate, that was uh, I thought that was worth commenting on it. It's nice to see that. The other thing that we added in there is that the technical advisory committee of the Grails Foundation has decided to add uh, three new members. Uh, Tabitha Willen. Uh, I don't know her. Um, I saw from the status that she was, uh, let's see, what was the status? She's a lead application engineer at Omaha Public Power District. And I know there's a a lot of groovy and, and grails work going on in that area in, in Omaha, yeah. Nebraska. It's a hotbed. Uh, so she joined it. And then so did, of course, our friend uh, Soren Berglasius, who promised, promised we're going to have a, a great comp this year. Right. <laughs> and he even yeah. intends it to be live. And, you know, he's 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 going to tell us. Right. So that was nice. And then I was really surprised when uh when Jeff Brown contacted me and asked me to, to join as well. Uh, I, I put it in the newsletter, but you know, my experience with Jeff Brown, I mean, Jeff's a wonderful guy, you know, Jeff, but when Jeff says, Hey, let's talk. I mean, I don't know what your reaction is, but my reaction is always, Oh no. I mean, I love talking to Jeff, but he's going to have a project in mind and it'll be really interesting. I'm really going to want to do it. And of course, I don't have time to do it. So how am I going to say no to Jeff? Because I'm not good at saying no to Jeff, you know? Uh, so of course, I talked to him and he said, oh, you want to join the Grails Foundation? And I'm like, oh, okay. And he promised, promised again, that it's not a massive time commitment. It's only like quarterly meetings and stuff. But I know Jeff too. And we'll see how much time that actually turns out to be. But I, I can't deny it. It's just a... a wonderful honor i i really did not expect that and anything i can do to help grails grow and be more accepted and more prosperous and more successful i'm i'm really happy to do yeah congratulations to you and uh, to the, the other two as well to soren mm. and to tabitha um yeah it's really cool the grace foundation um being alive and it's like now it's we can say probably that the grace future is more open than ever. We uh, have to get we have to get Jeff back on the podcast sometime because you know yeah have, I think he will have he'll things good to say you to know? talk about the foundation yeah <laughs> among other things. Okay, um, I don't think I have anything else major. Did is there anything else you wanted to bring up or or discuss? Uh, no, uh, I say let's all try Groovy Four and yep. let's uh, submit any issues that we find to Paul. 
Uh, and please, if you are using Micro 3, Micro 330. And if not, we listen to each other in the next Groovy Podcast episode and, in and this new season six. Right. Don't don't forget about uh, Open Collective as a way to support the Friends of Apache Groovy and SDK Man, of course, which never gets enough love, you know, because I don't think it's possible to give it enough love. It's a wonderful product. Yeah. Uh, also, thank you to No Fluff Just Stuff, who hosts the Groovy Podcast website. It's uh, nofluffjuststuff.com slash groovypodcast. Has all the recordings and the links and everything. And I think, actually, I'm glad I remembered that. I think that's everything. Yeah. So good to see you. Uh, although I got to ask you one question. Are you have you are you still upset that that Wordle got sold to the New York Times or are you OK with it now? Uh, <laughs> I hopefully it will have less people in my timeline. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's good news for me, to be honest. Uh, I did I show you, made... you. I did put the exact list in of what commands to click on in order to mute the word Wordle in your timeline. But, you know, yeah. I Just, think he made like 1 million. Uh, so I think that's like the... It did say low seven dream. figures. I mean, good for him, you know? That he yeah, yeah, absolutely. For his girlfriend, basically, and, and wound up making a million dollars. It's like, good, good job. Good job. It's like the dream a project of a program is a, a solo developer uh, doing an application. Yeah, really nice. Well, and he did some uh, right because that thing scaled to millions of users without him having. Yeah, you probably it. are. You probably are the culprit for many of those. With the spam in the, your Twitter timeline, like all, all the days. So well, I guess some... how many how many are coming from you probably? <laughs> well, only one a day. That you know for sure. It's only. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, man. It's really good to see you. Let's let's not make it too long before we do this again. I think we could aim for roughly monthly, if that's all right with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we'll see how it goes. So thank you very much, everybody. And uh, we'll see you again on our next Groovy podcast. Yeah. Keep groovy.